So we're continuing our series that we started last week, um, Purpose in the Pain, Why We Suffer. And, and uh, it's, it's a bit of a heavy series. Uh, and, and it's going to be, hold on. Test, test, test. Okay. Does that, does that work? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and put the headset back on, Jimmy, and maybe we just turn the volume down, but for the sake of the recording, because this handheld won't have feed into the recording, I don't believe, for the video's sake. Okay, so um, we started this series, and, and it is going to be heavy, and, and I told you that, that I, I've been sitting on it for a while. And I told you the reasons I was sitting on it because I, w I didn't feel like I could stand up here and, and talk about suffering when, when, um, when I, I really, in comparison to what many of you are going through, I've not really experienced that kind of suffering. And I will have you know, one person came up to me after and said, just wait. And I said, is that a threat? Is that a threat? No, no, and, and, I, and I get, and, and yes, I mean, we would not wish it upon anyone, but you know, there, there's a, a, a cheesy preacher saying that, that is said often where you're either headed into a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're in the midst of a storm. It's a cheesy preacher thing, but it's pretty, pretty, pretty accurate, right? I mean, it's just, unfortunately, it's the rhythm of life, and we all know that, and we all experience that. Um, so we kicked that off last week, and, and the goal with last week was to provide a framework, to provide a, a skeleton of where do we fit suffering in the context of the story of the Bible. And we saw that, that, that God created all things good, and, and that's how life was meant to be. It was meant to be good, and people were meant to be in a relationship with God, enjoying the freedom that God has given us to enjoy all that He's created and to enjoy Him. But that's not where we currently live life. We live life currently uh, where, where we're at, where we don't experience God in the way He intended. We don't enjoy all the freedoms that He intended because all of that has been tainted by Sin, all of that has been corrupted by sin, and that impacts our relationship with God, that impacts the way we enjoy things and enjoy God. And so what we saw ultimately last week was that ultimately all of suffering, whether it's sickness, dying, disease, um, whether, whether it's evil at the hands of someone else, ultimately all suffering boils down to sin. But I have to clarify that because what I'm not saying is that doesn't necessarily mean that when you are suffering, it's because you did some specific sin, which is where we tend to default, right? Which is where we tend to, to reveal that our theology about grace does not actually impact the way we live. Because then we, we go and live our lives and we say, well, I'm sick because God must be getting me back for this. Or, or I didn't get that promotion because God must be punishing me for this. And that reveals to us that we think God is out to get us. And that's not at all how God operates because of Christ. But ultimately, when I say all of suffering ties back to sin, what I mean is because sin has entered into the human race and into the visible creation as we know it, that's why we have sickness, death, disease, dying, natural disasters, all of these things. Things are not as they are meant to be. And ultimately, it's because humanity has rebelled against God. And the result of that is sin entering and corruption entering in to all of creation. That's where we currently live life. And we're going to go through this series and we're going to look at the different reasons the Bible reveals for why we suffer. And absolutely, there is going to be one week where we look at, you may be suffering because you have hidden sin. That is absolutely a possibility. 
but it's not where we should default to automatically every time we suffer. And so last week was about providing that context that we live currently in between where things were meant to be and then ultimately where things will be. As God brings Christ back and he sets up the new heavens and the new earth and wipes away every tear and every pain and there will be no more death because there will be no sin. That's where things are headed. For the believer in Christ, that's where the hope lies, but we currently live in the in-between. That's the context we have to keep in mind when we, when we endure suffering of any kind. So that was, that was mostly in Genesis last week, though we did look at Revelation. And so today I'm going to take us to Romans 8, and we're going to see a New Testament perspective on that very same thing. But before we get there, just, just to get us thinking on the same level, I, I want to pull it back just a little bit, get a little lighter for the moment. Um, have you ever done something, put yourself through something, experienced something where you were experiencing some pain or some pressure or um, it was just brutal or harsh or undesirable and you continued to go through it or you endured it because you told yourself, but the end result, the end result is worth it. What waits for me at the end is worth it. Now, there's a very obvious example that I'm going to get to in a little bit. But for the sake of keeping it light for the moment, I think about like workout routines. Right? You, you put yourself through a workout routine. You sign up for a boot camp and you've never worked out in the last four or five years and you sign up for this camp where their goal is to get you in shape and lose weight and you're doing things you didn't even know you could do and after two or three minutes you're just huffing and puffing and, and then 10 minutes in you're just dying and they say, now that's the warm up. <laughs> and you're going, what? And you've got another 45, maybe 30 minutes to go in your class. And you're going, but it's worth it. The desired result is worth it. And you've got some picture of what that desired result is. Whether it's I'm looking in the mirror and this is what I see. Or this is how I feel on the inside. Or, or this is what I'll be able to do. Or you, you've got some end result where you're going, this pain right now is worth what it will be, be the result later. You've been in a situation like that? Maybe it wasn't working out. Maybe, maybe it was something else. But you kind of know what I'm talking about. There's, there's other things. Maybe you think about military, the boot camp, right? And you're going through boot camp, and it's the, 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 um, the way we describe it is it's the best experience that I never want to have again. Because while you're going through it, you hate it. And you, you're just wanting to, 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 to be done with it, and you're wondering what more are they going to do to me. But then you get on the end, end of it, and you realize, man, I, I really bonded with these guys. I really, I really had a sense of camaraderie that I've never known before. And so then on the end result, you find out, well, not only do I know the military culture better and the customs and courtesies, and not only am I in the best shape of my life, perhaps, but now I have these friends that were, we were forged through fire. The end result is worth it, but you had to go through the pain to get there. That's the gist of what Paul's going to say this morning to people who he's writing to and who are going through pain, suffering, persecution, and so look with me at Romans chapter 8. We'll read through it and then we'll, we'll walk through it. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay and into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. 
for in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. So here's, here's where we're going this morning. The suffering you endure now is worth the glory you will experience later. The suffering you endure now is worth the glory that you will experience later, which means is we're going to be talking about having a long-term view. We're going to be talking about not a quick fix. We're going to be talking about God may not want to deliver you from what you're currently going through. He may not deliver you from what you're currently going through. But Christianity is not based on solely quick fixes. It's not based on comfort now. It's based on a hope that is still ahead that we are waiting for. So we're going to go deep this morning. So put on your caps. Here we go. The suffering you endure now is worth the glory later. Here's how we, how we, how we got to think about suffering. The first thing that Paul tells us is we have to view our suffering in light of what will be. Remember last week, what, what it was intended to be, currently how, we, how it is, but what it will be. We have to view our suffering in light of what will be. So Paul, writing to the Roman, the church of Rome, probably in the 60s AD, early, early, early of the century there, and we know about that time is when uh, an emperor took over, Emperor Nero of Rome, and he was persecuting the Christians. The Christians came under a very specific and particular attack uh, uh, as compared to some of the other religious groups. And they were getting blamed for things that were not true, and they were getting blamed put on them for things that they didn't do. And the result was they were experiencing persecution, death by animals, death by burning, um, pressure, being in prison, separated from family, things like that. And so Paul is writing to this church in Rome where the emperor is. This group of believers who are living out their faith, living out Christianity in the place where the emperor is, the headquarters of persecution. And the first thing he says to them is this. Considering all that they're going through, I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will re be revealed to us. Now, Paul, he's writing to people who, mind you, they've known people perhaps who have been killed because of the following Jesus. They have been in prison themselves. They have family members currently in prison. They, they are going through it. Paul himself has experienced that same kind of suffering. He's been stoned multiple times near death. He's been whipped and lashed. He's been imprisoned. He's been beaten up in various different ways. Paul, as a result of following Christ, knows the persecution that the people he's writing to is going through. It is not a trite statement from Paul. It is not one of those statements that Paul is making to people who are distant from him, who he doesn't want to get really involved in, and so he just says, well, God's got a plan for you. Well, God's going to work this out. You see, it's not one of those statements said by, by someone who is emotionally uninvolved or who has not experienced himself. It is said by someone who has gone through and is going through the very same thing. And he says, when I consider the things that we're going through, our present sufferings, I cannot, they cannot be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. That's where he starts with them. He's telling them, you've got to have a view in the midst of your suffering that is in, in light of what will be. But what do we typically do with our suffering? We circle the wagons. We focus in on what's going on in my world, in my life, my hurt, my pain, my suffering, 
and I, I'm drawing back in and I'm isolating myself in it or I'm surrounding myself with people who are going through the same thing but then together we're isolating ourselves all the while feeling a false sense of, of, of maybe community that we're reaching out and we're being honest about what we're going through but really what we're doing is we're just surrounding ourselves with people who are all looking inward and we're focused on ourselves and what we're currently going through and we have no view towards the way things will be. We're not considering the, the suffering in the context of the story of the Bible where we fall, where this is not how things were meant to be, and this is not how things will be. Well, we're, not, we're not viewing it in that way, and so we get consumed and we think we're alone. We think we're the only people going through this. Or maybe we start to think, God, you're unfair for doing this or bringing this or allowing this into my life. Or, or, God, I don't deserve this. These are the kinds of thoughts that come into our mind when we start to isolate ourselves and we don't keep a view that is beyond what we're currently in. And Paul says, when I think about what we're currently going through, the sufferings, they don't even compare to when I think about what things will be like. Now, before we dig into what things will be like, because Paul's going to go there, let's talk more about the suffering part. In Paul's context, absolutely, immediately, he's talking to people who are being persecuted. So does these verses only apply to people who are being persecuted because of following Jesus? Not at all. Because Paul also has in mind a broader sense of suffering that's going on. The reason people are being persecuted is the result of sin, sinful humanity. But people have also experienced death and dying. And we can read Paul's letters and we can see him interact with people about the death and the dying that takes place. We know Paul is aware of the broader sense of suffering that people experience in this world. In fact, as we continue to read, we're going to see he broadens his understanding of suffering beyond just persecution, which is why it's important for us to understand in the context of the story of the Bible where suffering falls. Ultimately, all suffering ties back to sin entering into the human race and creation itself. Ultimately, all suffering boils down to that. We suffer, we live lives that are not as God intended because humanity, our representatives, Adam in the garden, rebelled against God. And because he rebelled against God, sin entered into the human race through him. And because sin entered the human race, death entered through all people. Because all sin, that's what Paul says in Romans 5.12, we are held guilty because of Adam's choice in the garden. And just in case we find ourselves saying, but that's not fair, all we have to do is look at our own lives and say, are we doing any better? Because if we think that if we were in Adam's position in the garden, we would not have rebelled, we need only to look at our own heart and our own lives and realize we probably wouldn't have made it very far either. And ultimately, now we all experience the impact of sin, which is death which is the process of dying, which is sickness, which is disease, which is physical disabilities, which is ultimately dying as you age, which is you suffering at the hands of evil people who intend it for evil. All of that ties back to sin. And Paul says, when I consider our present sufferings, what are you going through right now? What have you been through? What are you about to go through that you don't know? When I consider our present sufferings, he says they don't even compare to the coming glory that is to be revealed to us. We've got to have a view that goes far beyond where we're currently at. So the first thing Paul would tell us is we have to view our suffering in the context of what will be. But how can Paul say that? 
How, how can Paul say something that seems so easy to say but hard to live? We go on and we have to understand that we have to view our suffering in the context of universal corruption. You're not the only one suffering. You're not the only one who has ever suffered. You're not the only one who will suffer. In fact, it goes far beyond us. And so Paul starts here. And in verse 19, he says, for the creation. Now, he's, he's, he's making a distinction now between people, which we are creation, but he's going to make a distinction between people, personal creation, and the rest of creation. Trees, animals, earth, sky, all that kind of stuff. Water. For the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. The sons of God would be those who have believed in Jesus, who are filled with the Spirit, as he's talked about earlier in, in this chapter. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Here's what Paul's saying. Suffering impacts, sin impacts the entire creation. He says all of creation is groaning. It's not as it should be. It's not as God created it. You remember when God created Genesis 1 and 2, he looked at it all and he said it's very good. But it was in chapter 3 of Genesis where we see people rebel against God and then sin enters into humanity and we looked at the curses and the thing that he said to Adam in Genesis 3 verse 17 was cursed is the ground because of you. All of creation is impacted by sin, by humanity's rebellion. And Paul says, look, suffering needs to be put in the context of universal corruption. What you're experiencing, the sickness, the pain, the, the, the evil at the hands of others, the death, all of that, that is part of a universal corruption of sin. You've got to have a bigger view, a greater understanding so that you get out of that inward isolated focus, out of that group that just has you focusing in on all your problems and you understand this is part of a bigger problem and I'm just part of it. You've got to view your suffering in the context of universal corruption. The earth is not as it should be. The ground is not as it should be. The, the weather patterns are not as they should be. This is why when we talk about natural disasters, we point back to verses like this in Genesis 3.17 and we say natural disasters, tornadoes, hurricanes, um, tsunamis, a wildfire that just start because of the heat, things like that that then destroy things and people's lives and people's possessions. We look at that and we say the reason that we tie that back to sin ultimately is because of verses like this all of creation is groaning and it groans because it's not as it should be it's not operating as it should be uh, if you know know more about science you know that the earth has been proven to be uh, slowly expanding constantly expanding moving more and more toward chaos not order the earth is not as it should be creation is groaning when, when, when you see trees dying, when you, when you see um, um, animals attacking uh, uh, people, or when you see things that, that are in creation that hurt humanity, we are reminded that creation is groaning. Things are not as they should be, as they were intended to be. And so Paul puts it in perspective and he says, when I consider the, 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 the things that will be, the present sufferings are nothing. nothing. Because look, all of creation is groaning with you. 
Verse 20, he says, creation was subjected to futility. See, Paul's understanding is the reason that creation is groaning is ultimately it was subjected to futility. It came under the consequences of sin. Who did that? Who subjected creation? God. Genesis 3.17, cursed is the ground because of you. God is the one who put creation under the curse as a result, as consequences of humanity's rebellion against God. On one level, you've got to be reminded our sin has greater impact than we ever consider. But two, in just a moment, you're going to see we can take hope in the fact that it was God who subjected it and not Adam. See, Adam has no power to subject, to subject creation to futility. But sometimes people read these verses and think, oh, the creation came under, under uh, um, sin and is groaning because of what Adam did. But as you continue to read, you find out it can't possibly be Adam who did this. It's the consequences of what Adam did, but it was God who intentionally subjected creation to futility. Because it says, it goes on in verse 20, creation was not willingly subjected, but because of God who subjected it. So creation is longing to be set free. It's currently in bondage. It's decaying. It's corrupting. Listen, that's the process we go through too. But Paul says as we consider our suffering, we've got to understand and we've got to have a view that our suffering is part of a universal corruption because of sin. It's far bigger than just us. And we're not alone in it. And God is not unaware of it. It's not as it should be. It's how it currently is. And it's not how it will be. So the whole creation groans and suffers now. We've got to have a view to the universal corruption. But then we go on. And because, because Paul's able to say, when I consider the things that are future, that, 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 are, that are laid up for us, the, the suffering now doesn't compare. Because Paul's able to say, when I consider the, the universal corruption that ultimately suffering is a part of, when I consider that God is the one who subjected creation, we are people who can view suffering in hope. Hope. And we don't often pair hope and suffering together. In fact, it's the opposite. We often think when we're suffering, hopelessness. But as a follower of Christ, as a believer in Christ, with God sitting on the throne, there is hope in the midst of suffering. Why? We keep going. I kept passing over in, in, in verse 20, but when it says that God, because of God who subjected creation, you see the next line there, the next phrase, in hope that the creation itself will be set free. It's a good thing that God is the one who subjected creation when he said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. From th for you will work it in thorns and thistles you will get from it. It's a good thing that God is the one because only God is the one who could subject something and then say, but in hope that it will be set free. Because when God puts something in subjection, only he can say, it will be set free. And when he did that, you remember Genesis 3.15, the woman, what he said to the woman was, um, there's, there's going to be the seed of the serpent is going to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. But the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Hope. 
There's going to be someone who comes who is a follower of Christ, who is, a, or who is, a, who is a, a obedient to God, and he is going to crush the head of the serpent, the one who deceived Adam in the garden. In hope, God subjected creation. It's not how it will stay. When God subjects something and tacks on there in hope, it's not staying that way. In hope that the creation itself will also be set free. And look at verses 23 forward. How many times the word hope comes up? Not only this. So he's been focusing on creation itself. Now he's going to turn to people. He says, but we ourselves also who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So the first thing Paul's going to say as we talk about hope is this. We groan. Do you have the Spirit of God in you? Have you trusted in Christ? Has He given you His Spirit as a down payment, as a seal to empower, to enable you to follow after Christ and to live in ways that we can't do on our, on our own power? Do you have the Spirit? Well, the Spirit groans inside of you because what you have inside of you is God. And things are not as they should be. And when God is living inside of people who are not as they should be, the Spirit inside is groaning. And it's a reminder that things are not as they should be, but that we are waiting, that we are longing for something better than this, for something greater than this, and that will come to pass. The Spirit of God that lives inside of us, whom He gives to us, guarantees that it will come to pass. Because when God gives the Spirit as a down payment, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, He's a seal, He's a down payment, He's a guarantee. You pay part now, because you intend to pay the full later. We get the Spirit now because God says, I'm going to begin a work in you. And as Paul says in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. You are in process. The Spirit of God guarantees that this is not how things will be. If you're groaning, if you're longing for something better, if you know this is not how it was intended to be, it's what it is right now, but it's not as it will be. The Spirit groans and deeply longs for that which God has awaiting us. Paul says that day is we are awaiting eagerly our adoption and the redemption of our bodies. We talked about this last Easter when we, when we looked at these verses. Oftentimes in Christianity, we talk about hope. And we boil hope down, we water it down, really, to just being with God. We talk about the hope in Christianity and we talk about one day I'm going to die and I'm going to be in the presence of God. That's not the hope that Christianity offers. There is far more, it is far greater than just I'm going to be in the presence of God. You see, if you're just in the presence of God in your soul and your spirit and your body has been defeated by sin because it has died and it stays here in the ground corrupting and it's not overcoming sin, then sin has not been overcome in your body. And God's redemption of you is not complete. But when creation was corrupted by sin and all of creation was subjected, in order for God to reverse the impact of sin, he has to reverse all of the impact of sin, which means he can't just save our soul and our spirit and say, job well done, because still sin has taken the body. In order for God to show that he is overcomer of sin, that he is greater than Satan, that he ultimately wins out, he must reverse all of the impact of sin, which means your body overcomes sin as well. And death is the result of sin, which then means your body will not stay dead. 
So you die now, your spirit, your soul goes in the presence of the Lord, your body to the ground. But one day when Christ returns, Paul calls it the day of our adoption, the day of the redemption of our bodies. When Christ returns, your body raises and it meets your soul, your spirit, and the two are, are joined together. But this time your body is in a new form. This time your body is in a form that is not impacted by sin. This time your body has overcome sin just like Jesus himself rose from the dead overcoming sin. That's when the, the impact of sin is reversed. When your body is free of sin, when your soul, your heart, your mind is free of sin. That's what awaits us. That's the day that, that Paul is talking about, the redemption of our bodies. That's the hope of Christianity, that even though we see sin reigning and ruling now, and it looks like because people die, people get sick, people have diseases, they have disabilities, it looks like sin is ultimately winning out. It looks like sin is the victor here. The hope of Christianity is that we will see the day when Christ comes back and God shows himself as more powerful than all of that. The redemption of our bodies. That's the hope of Christianity. If it's anything less, you're lacking in hope. But Paul talks about it also as the, we await our adoption. See, there's this process where we've been started, we, we have the Spirit, and we are God's sons and daughters now. But we will be even more fully then. When we are more like our brother, Christ when our bodies become like his and then we are, we are co-heirs with him, we will be more fully the sons and daughters of God there in the future. In other words, what is now is not all there is, which is why when we suffer, whatever that is, sickness, disease, death, when we experience death, when we experience um, evil at the intent of others, whatever that is, when we suffer now, we've got to have a view of what will be. And we have to understand that our suffering falls in the context of a universal corruption. It is all of sin impacting all of creation, and God intends to deal with that. And we are part of that. But he goes on, verse 24, and he says, For in hope we were saved. Now, that's an interesting way to talk about it. In hope we were saved. I mean, he could just stop and say, We were saved. No need for hope. You're secure. And you are secure, but you're not complete. If you've trusted in Christ, you are secure. God does not intend to let you go. There's no one that can snatch you from the hand of Christ, but you are not done. God has not finished what he started in you. You are not as you will be. You are not as you should be. And so Paul says, in hope we were saved. Now, when you say in hope, that means there's something that I'm hoping for that is not currently in place. You see, I have hope in something because I'm longing for something that will be that currently is not. And this is a hope that's based in God. It's not a wishful thinking like, oh, I, I hope my team wins. It's a hope that is based in God who has already acted on what he said he will do and he has revealed what he will do and so he saves us in hope of what will be. Which means you've been saved but God never intended that in your salvation in this life that you would not suffer. Paul starts with the assumption that you will suffer. I consider the present sufferings of this life not to compare. We will suffer. At 
the result of sin in this world, whether that's persecution because of following Christ or whether that's I'm just living in a world that is broken and a body that is broken, we will suffer. There is nowhere, nowhere that the scriptures teaches that when you trust in Christ, you get automatically healed physically and that if you're not healed, it's lacking in faith. That is not an absolute rule. Now, is it a possibility that God wants to heal and, and the reason that he's not healing some people is because they're not believing? Absolutely, it's a possibility. But there is a line of teaching that teaches that that is the sole and only reason because it has been purchased for you and if you're not receiving it, it's because you're not claiming it. That is rubbish. And I would like to use a much stronger word. So fill in the blank. Paul expects... Jesus expects, the other writers of the New Testament expect that followers of Christ will suffer. We're not exempt from the impact of sin in this world. But what we do have is a hope that goes beyond this world. And so Paul says, um, in hope you were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? He's saying, look, we don't see what God intends for us right now. We don't see it in full. I'm not as I should be. If I was walking around and I was perfectly healed and I was walking around and, 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 and I had no sickness, no disease, then I would not have hope for what could be. But in hope you were saved and you hope for things that you don't see. You and I, we are suffering, we experience things at the consequence of sin in this world. Sickness, disease, dying. And we don't currently see what God intends for us physically right now. We don't see it. We're not experiencing it. But he reveals it to us in the scriptures. We will see it. It will come to pass. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. How do I suffer as a follower of Christ? I endure the suffering in hope because I'm hoping for what I don't currently see I don't have it now it will be but I don't have it now so just like I opened up and I said you, sometimes you've been through things that you know it's painful now and, and the end result is, is, what, is what you're holding on to. Paul said the, the creation longs. And, and if you were to look back at verse uh, 19, the creation eagerly waits. Uh, I'm going up one more. 18, for I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. And it talks about it as being, uh, in some translations, as being in labor pains there. Maybe your translation says that. That creation is in labor pains now. It's groaning like a woman in labor. Now listen, um, I've never been a woman in labor, okay? But I've been on the maternity ward a few times. And, I, and, I, and I've heard in the maternity ward as you're walking in through the aisles, I've heard the screams and the shouts of a woman in labor. Now that's an entirely different type of scream because you know what's coming at the end, then if I was in ICU or oncology and I hear the screams, 
It's an entirely different type of scream, an entirely different type of groaning. The type of groaning that creation is suffering, the type of groaning that we are suffering is the type of groaning that is, is painful now, but has a result at the end that is worth it. And almost every woman you talk to, every mother you talk to will say, the pain was worth it. They won't tell you they forgot it, the pain. But they'll tell you that the pain I endured when I saw that baby or babies was worth it. It's worth it. That's an enduring type of mindset. Because of what's at the end, that's how we suffer as believers. We endure, but we endure in hope. We press on because we know what lies ahead doesn't even compare to what I'm going through now. It's so far better. So the suffering you endure now is worth the glory you experience later. This is going deep. This is a, a mindset and a heart set that is not taught in places outside of the church. And in many churches, it's not taught. Like I said, in many churches, it's taught you won't suffer if you have faith. But people who follow Christ must also be people who learn to suffer and learn to suffer well and learn to endure to the glory of God in hope. We're not exempt from the impact of sin, but we have hope. And so for some of you, maybe what this is doing for you this morning, I hope what it does for you, is that our temptation is when we suffer, we immediately turn to God and we say, this is not right. This is not fair. This is not right of you to put on me. I don't deserve this. And we start to blame God. Hopefully what you're starting to see is you put suffering in the context of the story of the Bible and in, in the universal context of, of all of creation being corrupt is this is a result of sin. And rather than, than me turning to God and hating God and seeds of hate and bitterness being planted toward God, instead seeds of hate and bitterness should be planted toward sin. I should grow in my hatred towards sin. I should grow in hating the things that God hates. And I should set my mind on the things that God has for me. Pressing on, on the th and toward the things that God has for me. Not, not blaming and accusing Him, but instead longing for what He has for me. Longing for what He has for creation. Longing for the day where he will reverse the impact of sin on all of creation. That's what growing in our understanding of suffering as, as it is in the context of the Bible will do for us. And for others of you, perhaps this morning as you're suffering, there's many of you. Many of you. In different ways. It's a reminder for some of you that what God has for you Christ returns, whether you are alive to see that or whether you are risen from the ground to meet him, is far better and far more glorious than what you're enduring now. And the way to endure is to keep sights focused on that. And for others of you this morning, that's something maybe you need to start to ask God, God, give me a bigger view. Amen. Give me a bigger view. Give me a greater view, a longer view. Take my eyes off me. Take my eyes off my present situation. Not that I can't be in it, not that I can't experience it in very real ways, but I don't want to be so inwardly and isolatingly dwelling on it that I don't have my eyes on Christ. That I don't have my eyes on the one who gives me the hope to endure.
brothers of you this morning. Listen, there's no one that's exempt from suffering. Every one of us in this room has experienced pain at the, the, in a relationship, in sickness, disease, disability, someone we know dying. No one's exempt. The question is, what do you cling to? Because there is no other place that you will find a hope like this apart from the hope that God himself provides through Jesus. Through the one who God, because he, he, he loves us, saw this broken world and humanity's rebellion against him, still entered into the brokenness, taking on the form of a human body, a broken body, so that he could live among us, perfect obedience, which we can't do, and then stand willingly. Nobody took his life from him. Jesus willingly laid down his life out of love and obedience to the Father. He climbed on that cross fully knowing what he was doing and for whom he was doing it. And he died taking the judgment and the wrath of God that we all deserved because of our sin, because we are guilty of rebelling against God. And all of God's wrath and, and anger and judgment towards sin was placed on Christ. For those who trust in Christ, we don't receive that. Instead, we are removed from God's wrath. And we're forgiven of our sins, cleansed of our unrighteousness, and given the righteousness of Christ and His obedience that He earned. And after He died, He rose from the dead to a new type of life. Overcoming sin and death, death which is the result of sin. And now those who trust in Christ, the hope is, the promise is, we will do the same. Our bodies will be overcoming sin and death which is the result of sin. That's our hope. Is it your hope? Is it a hope that you know? a hope that you've received from God because you've trusted in Christ. That may be where you need to respond this morning. So as we wrap this up, let's, let's go before the Lord and just ask this, Lord, what, what do you have that has my name on it this morning? What are you wanting me to hear from you this morning? What are you speaking to me right now?
let those words wash over us. Because maybe we're singing them in our mind, maybe we're singing them under our breath and in our heart. Sometimes those words are easier to sing than they are to believe and to rest in. Trusting in your promises, reminding ourselves that you've not failed, nor have you changed. You're still good. Always will be good, and all that comes from you is good. And as Paul would go on to say in Romans 8, for I know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. God, there is no suffering, there is no pain, there is no disability, there is nothing that is in our lives as a result of sin that, can, that, that, that will be wasted in your hands. You use all of it for our good, for shaping us and conforming us, that Christ might be formed in us. So God, do that work in us. We turn our eyes towards you in hope. And may we be a people who live that hope and who can then offer that hope to others in our workplaces, in our classrooms, in our families. That we would not be content to give them simple answers that are empty. I think God has a plan. But that we would be specific and bold and filled with compassion and hope and point people to Christ. And for your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. See you next week.